Hello, I'm Mark Brown, and I'd like to welcome you to this National Survivor User Network, NSUN podcast, um, where today we're going to be talking about NSUN's experience of giving small amounts of money to people who are doing really, really cool things. I'm here with... Rory White. Uh, my pronouns are he and they. I'm a project manager for Community Constellations at Ensign. And I'm Emma Ormerod. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Um, and I'm an Ensign associate. And uh, I also run a charity in Coventry uh, called Underground Lights. Uh, we are a member-led, user-led organisation for people who've experienced homelessness um, and mental distress and trauma. Excellent. So thank you for joining me today. Um, I, we're not in the same place, I should add. We're, we're all on Zoom. So any differences in our sound quality and the amount of seagulls or people riding motorbikes in the background is entirely based on where we're based in the country. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Ensun's side-by-side fund. Um, it would be really good for the people at home for one of you to explain what the side-by-side -side fund is or was. So the Side by Side Fund was a grants program that Ensign ran in early uh, early summer and spring this year. It was a um, process of giving grants of £500 to organisations doing peer support in their communities. And we were especially prioritising uh, applications from organisations that were buying for people from racialised communities. Um, or that were led by young people, so age 18 to 25, or that were led by and for people who hadn't been able to meet during the pandemic for whatever reason, including uh, online, so people who had had to stop their peer support activities, basically. What I think would really help um, everyone who's listening at home is some examples of the kinds of projects or groups or activities that the side by side fund finally funded like what was the really cool stuff what was the really exciting stuff what was the stuff that you kind of think i this is what we're about this is what the side by side fund was about Ruby, do you want to do you want to go with that that's what i know we were looking at the list again <laughs> yesterday and going oh yeah that was good oh I love, yeah that yeah. was great so for, actually for, first of all for everyone at home how many how many groups or projects organizations did the side-by-side -side fund fund 37 so, so you've got you've got a list of 37 and i can see how that might make you pause and go oh my god they're all my favorites but um yeah with, with, yeah which ones which ones do you think really kind of get across what you were doing with this yeah so i would first off say that that every single group that is on there and many groups that we couldn't fund had like um we had really really great connections with and and like every single uh i really encourage people to go and look through and like get in contact if if they're interested or if it's like relevant to what you do or to you um but uh yeah so off the top of my head um there are a couple that um i i i think are really interesting there's um so decolonized networking is a uh, group set up by young people from south london for mm. young people in south london primarily people from uh from black communities or from communities of color and um their role 
that, that they kind of see their role, as I understand it, I'm sure that they could talk about this stuff better than I can, that they kind of see their role as like connecting those young people and giving them an opportunity to um, think about the spaces that they live in, the context that they come from, um, to connect them up with opportunities, but also to do things like, for instance, one thing that they did was, a, was an event about the Brixton uprisings, um, which was about um, it, kind of about media coverage and about media literacy and about understanding like local histories and empowering people to feel their place in them. Um, and that's a really interesting example, I think, of how uh, it, it's very different to a lot of organisations that are about like young people's mental health, um, mm. but are absolutely about they are absolutely about um, empowering young people and young people empowering each other and uh, building community with each other and sort of deepening those relationships and building skills together, which um, when we spoke about it, they saw is really linked to mental health, uh, self-esteem, kind of self-image as an individual and also as a community, um, which I thought so was really, really powerful. So the, the, the stuff you're talking about with decolonized networking is, is, is really, really interesting because it sounds very much that you, you know, people exploring their place in the world and how their place in the world came to be what it is, is, is very much about kind of finding your way in the world. And lots of people, you know, who, you know, lots of people who experience difficulties and challenges with their mental health, um, often find you know themselves in a world that doesn't seem best suited or to best fit them um that sounds like what this is about yeah so i think it's it's about the ways that um community connections are are have been destroyed in many ways by by racism by by you know poverty by environmental racism um by the ways that that um like housing and and uh and like the welfare state and stuff have been uh, is functioning currently and the mental health impacts of that are extraordinary and they're they're circular as well in the you know um as your uh as your ability to to sort of feel whole is is taken away from you then it's harder to access support it's harder to um, find your way out of the situation that you're in and I think understanding the systemic effects of stuff like that on communities and on community connection is really really important and it, it also is really important to understand understanding how community organizing can be a response to that um, and I think a way out of that I mean, that, I mean, that's that's super, super interesting to me because I, th I think a lot of people would, would picture, you know, a a young person-led mental health project as being a lot of people get in a room together and play on the Xbox or they do some campaigning about mental health services. But this one, well, you know, people getting together, you know, to explore the history of, of their local area and what it means to them, you know. Some people would say, how's that mental health? um but it is isn't it yeah i would also say uh a big fan of getting together to play xbox and talk about <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> i think <laughs> i think both are good. and also i think like there is a kind of like 
I think I think those kinds of things are sometimes also not taken very seriously as especially with young people like there's this this sense that um that's kind of why we wanted to fund youth led organizations um because young people are often not taken seriously when they say look this is what we want to do for our mental health um but yeah yeah definitely there's something different about the idea of of getting together in a really like place based way and thinking about um histories that are are that affect your local area still today that is really really tied up with with mental health and is really um a really interesting take on like how you can have uh make a difference to the mental health of your community amazing emma can, can you think of any any examples yeah. of, of from, yeah. from the list of 37 that you, oh, you my think goodness. really sum it all up go on go <laughs> for it there are hear, so many. I, I yeah. hear a lot of love in that voice there. There is, there is a lot of love. And and also I think, you know, again, for the for the organizations that that weren't funded. And and I think, you know, at the end of the conversations, I would, you know, I would often really want to kind of validate the the work that the people were doing. And I'd kind of say, well, you know, if whether this work gets funded or it doesn't get funded you know what what you're doing is really exciting and great and and keep going because you know there's so you know i know how much kind of emotional labor and time you know from from running an organization myself you know it's it, it's really hard work um and you know and it takes a lot so kind of wanting to validate all of those people who didn't get funded whose whose projects and work are really really exciting out of the out of the people who did get funding, um, I guess yeah. Let's talk about loss um, as a, as an organisation. I think it's really interesting, which um, supports young people um, aged eighteen to thirty five who've been bereaved, um, and uh, the the volunteers who are who are running the groups. They they are bereaved young people themselves, uh, and they run uh, peer support groups. Um, Kind of, I think it started, you know, very in a, a very local space, um, just as just as one one group and uh, you know, and and a few people really. I think it started with with three people saying, you know, we've had that it's this experience. Let's you know, let's set up a group, and and now that kind of going across the country, and of course with the pandemic kind of going online as well. So running online groups, um, and that actually you know kind of really really spreading across the country now and so that's that's you know really really exciting kind of uh, organization um i think uh, a very different kind of organization um down and dementia support um so they were they were looking for money to to restart their dementia cafe and so obviously one of the funding priorities being you know groups who who haven't been able to meet at all during the pandemic um obviously you know digital uh, exclusion um is you know it's a it's a huge issue there are a lot of people during the pandemic who um you know a lot of people went went online went on zoom um, but if you if you didn't have the smartphone, if you didn't have the data, if you didn't have the equipment, then it was always going to be much, much harder to kind of uh, to kind of access, you know, groups and things that were going online. So there were there were some groups that, that really missed out on that. Um, 
and down and dementia support was was one of those groups that just had to kind of say well, we can't you know we can't meet up in person at the moment and so they were looking for that that funding to to restart um, and to buy some craft materials uh, and some general supplies uh, so that they could kind of run their activities, uh, restart their coffee and lunch fund. And so you know, sometimes it is that very much that kind of just very small local work, um, as we were talking about earlier. Um, but that that £500 making making a really big difference to, to that group of people. Um, so the background to this is the pandemic. Um, Ensun had been doing some work um, funding user-led groups and organisations in the community kind of previously. Um, what did you both do in, in relation to this grant fund? Yeah, I can talk about a little bit about the process. So, uh, so Rory and I were basically acting as uh, grants officers, really. So as the yeah. applications were coming in, we would read all of them um, and then start to think about uh, what would be uh, a good fit in terms of uh, which ones we wanted to shortlist and kind of put through to a panel. So we would uh, we would read through the applications um, and have a think about them. We'd discuss together and then we would make a list of the, of the ones that we then wanted to follow up with a, with a phone call um, to find out uh, a little bit more. So that was... Uh, not a formal interview, really. We wanted mm. to make it as kind of, you know, conversational as possible and as non-scary as possible. So that would just be to find out maybe some specific questions that we might have for them. Mm. Uh, so it might be a, a really exciting sounding application, but maybe um, there wasn't a budget breakdown there. So we might kind of, you know, talk through how they want to spend the money or we might want to find out a bit more about the organisation itself. And yeah. then we would uh, write up the notes uh, for that, and then they would be uh, put through to to the panel for discussion. So, uh, so Rory and myself, we weren't the decision makers. So we would we would explain to people that you know we're we're not we're not making these decisions, but we are kind of you know writing up the report, and then the panel will will discuss and decide. So that was that was the overall process. So and our role in it, yeah. So who who was on the panel making the decisions? Yeah, it was made up of uh, representatives from um, Ensign and Mind and included um, people with lived experience and people who'd kind of been involved in the side-by-side -side project with mm. Mind. So uh, Mind side-by-side project was a, as a, a wider piece of work, which was about um, basically hubs supporting peer support in a couple of different localities. Um, but actually, an interesting point is that we didn't necessarily have all that. Um, we, we didn't have that much contact with the panel, um, which I think is something that, that we might like to change if we do this again um, and have that that initial meeting. Though obviously, there's there's actually something that was quite helpful in some ways about having that bit of separation between the two steps of the process. So this grant funding that that both of you were working on was part of a, a wider mind project um do you know much about the the, the wider project and and how ensign came to play a role in it my understanding is that there was basically an underspend um and mind was looking to make sure that that money still went to uh to two groups doing peer support but felt that ensign was better placed to 
reach uh, smaller and kind of um, maybe less obvious groups, uh, people doing different kinds of peer support, um, people doing sort of non-traditional stuff, um, and also really importantly, user-led groups, groups where there's a really strong sense of a collective um, and a, a kind of, yeah, a community. So the Side by Side Fund was for only £500 and a lot of people who've been involved both applying for grants and you know giving grants might say that £500 isn't very much money at all and it all seems like a lot of hassle and rigmarole for not very much at all. Um, I'm going to guess that you'll, you would disagree with that statement but like five hundred pounds, what did five hundred pounds mean to some of the organisations or groups that you could award the money to? Uh, something quite specific in mind that they that they wanted to do, um, which could be something like um, Zoom membership, um, or mm. to kind of continue doing the kind of work that they that they were doing. So you know, so there was there was a nice focus to it as well in terms of the pot of money that they that they were looking to to get. Yeah, and I'd say also um, that there was there was something about um, a lot of what people were applying for was the basics that they needed to continue uh, doing what they were doing. Um, so we didn't require people to say, "Oh, with with five hundred pounds, we are going to absolutely revolutionise like the way that we are working. We're going to totally change our communities, stuff like that." Um, mm. A lot of the time it was just that people um, were coming to a point where they needed a bit more resource to carry on, um, especially with stuff sort of, uh, it, it kind of came at like entering a new phase of the pandemic, I guess, where there yeah. is a bit more in, in some cases face-to-face um, -face interaction. So some people were looking for funding to kind of resource that and um, provide masks and stuff. and. So was, just yeah. like just just for people who um just for people at home who aren't really familiar with the, the side by side fund, um can you give us an idea of the, the the time frame like when the initial call went out versus when people actually could begin to draw down the funds like when when that actually happened in time against the you know the timeline of the pandemic. The actual grant fund sort of ran from. May to June and that was when we were doing the bulk of the work on it. In terms of um, how, when money became available, basically um, we had weekly panels so we were speaking to people and then um, referring them to the next panel and then immediately after that they would, um, if they were successful, receive the funds and also if they weren't successful, um, let be told that they weren't successful and I think both of those is quite important because Obviously, you know, you're, um, if £500 is going to make a real difference, then £500 next week is going to make a lot more of a difference than £500 a couple of months away. Um, and yeah. also, if you are doing a lot of applications or if you are running on a lot of mostly volunteer labour, um, it can be really frustrating and stressful to be sort of banking on funds or, or trying to figure out... Um, when funds are going to come through and to be constantly waiting and waiting and, and even just to, to get a rejection or a, or a, like this isn't going to fit with our with our project. So you, you're kind of saying that, that people were maybe 
applying for things, you know, based on needs at, at a particular point in the pandemic. Um, what kind of stuff were, were people applying for, kind of looking to the future, if you like? Um, lots of lots of stuff about digital connectivity. So lots of devices, Zoom subscriptions. Um, a couple of people uh, used the money to go towards data to kind of assist people in getting connected. Um, other things were things like room hire um, and uh, safety equipment, PPE, to get people into sort of face-to-face -face settings. It was really interesting how there was um, a huge variety of approaches towards how people were going to meet. So mm. um, some people were finding that they uh, that, that meeting online was much more accessible and it kind of opened up a new lease of life for their groups or um, had offered a whole new avenue um, of support and they wanted funding to continue that even though yeah. um, and th there was almost a sense of being uh, not wanting to be left behind when everything started opening up and needing that support to continue delivering virtual stuff whereas other groups had been unable to meet online or had had a really reduced service and that was yeah. for reasons like digital exclusion but also um, in, in terms of like not having access to devices but also like not having access to a like a safe private space to to use like a, a zoom membership or to go on a zoom call yeah um so there was a real variety in terms of how people were thinking about the money that they would need to meet where they wanted to meet and what kinds of places would be good for their community to meet in whether virtual or in in person so, so, so ultimately this this fund was to support peer support um did you have a very strong idea of what peace like peer support actually is um when you were looking through the applications and kind of making recommendations for funding i think that's that's a really good question because it is certainly at the beginning something that rory and i talked about quite a quite a lot in terms of you know our, our understandings of, of peer support and what that was I think we were looking for things that were kind of repeated and and sustainable. So things that things that weren't just uh, like a one-off, um, say a, a day trip, for example. So we're kind of thinking about things over over time. Um, I think we were kind of maybe trying to avoid a little more kind of funding for say mental health professionals. Uh, so um, say. Um, Kind of requests for counsellors or, or counselling, counselling. Mm. So kind of, um, so for the work. To kind so, of be... so that was, so that was groups requesting funding mm. to bring in um, mm, an outside yeah. mentor professional. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That kind of external support. So we were kind of looking for for things that were coming from from within the group, within that community. Mm. Um, and um, so sometimes there would be, so Rory's talked about that kind of the, the continuation funding. So, you know, wanting to keep doing what you're already doing. But for some groups, there were kind of maybe requests or kind of ideas to try something new. So setting up a new peer support group. Um, and so and so those those requests that, you know, we kind of think, oh, that's particularly interesting or exciting. That's kind of emerging from within that group um then we'd we'd kind of you know discuss that um 
Yeah, I think as well as something about um, kind of the, the strongest applications, not necessarily kind of following kind of traditional service delivery model as well. Mm. I think we can kind of probably talk about um, a bit more in terms of you know, please, the wider please, please. landscape. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, but please, please do, because because I, okay. you know, I, I I was just looking before we recorded this at, at the funding priorities for the side by side fund, and they were groups led by and for people from racialized communities or or people of color, groups led by and for young people aged eighteen to twenty five, and groups that have been unable to meet during the pandemic, which may be due to digital poverty. So that's a very very kind of particular. Well, I was going to say it's a very particular set of profiles. It's not. It's a huge amount of diversity grouped into three very mm. big categories. Um, and, and yeah, I think everyone listening is going to be wondering, well, what did that actually look like? What did it sound like? How, how did this differ from, you know, 500 quid stuck into a local charity that put on a coffee morning or something like How is it mm. different? Yeah, I think there's there's something about um, the peer support as, as community building and something really key in here around around lived experience, what, whatever that that lived experience might be. So a group of people getting together, sharing some kind of experience and then I guess seeing seeing a need uh, within the community that, that wasn't being met, that had then led to the formation of their group or organisation um and and within that the peer support part of it being being really key and so mm. then i think the the outworking of that um in terms of the what i've saying about the traditional service delivery model so mm. maybe there'd be groups that didn't necessarily um like practically they might be unconstituted groups they may not have a bank account for example um mm. but also they may not be um about uh, say a traditional growth model in terms of numbers so I think often within the the general landscape of, of funding uh, when you're um, applying uh, for funding you might expect to see um, you know what what are the numbers going to be how how are you going to grow this over time what what's that beneficiary journey going to look like and so uh, quite a few of the organizations just like well we're you know we're We've seen the need. We're doing what we're doing uh, with this particular group of people, um, and I guess what Rory was saying earlier about the, you know the just just asking for funding to say you know but this is this is what we're doing. Please, can we have some money to continue doing it? That that would be that would be good. So mm. I think there's there's something about about that being a bit different, um, and I guess in terms of, of what I was saying about the that beneficiary journey. I think sometimes, sometimes we can get quite locked in to, uh, I suppose, the, the narratives of progression and narratives of gratitude. So uh, I think, you know, in terms of myself from a from let's say a service user perspective, you know, I'm familiar with the the narrative of you know things things were really bad in my life, but then I came along to this group or service, and then I got loads of stuff out of it and here I am today you know with with this positive outcome and we kind of know that the reality is that it's a lot more nuanced it's a lot more complex you know life life isn't really like that um and so often you know within a group you can be uh working you know working with other people in the group you know you'll have ups and downs it isn't a linear journey so 
that kind of um, sort of goes against sometimes the, that kind of traditional funding narrative, let's say. So I think I'm probably going off topic here. So, you know, Rory. No, 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 you're, you you, can... <laughs> you, you're, you're definitely not going off topic. That's, oh my God. Okay, that, that's, good. <laughs> that is absolutely that's... brilliant. Um, Rory, do you have any kind of thoughts on, on a, a similar theme? Yeah, I think um, I think Emma's point about it it being um, like being willing to fund complexity and and not not uh, not looking in fact like ex explicitly trying to avoid that narrative of um, we the charity professionals have put on a thing for um, poor unfortunate people like I mean obviously that's uh, Ensign's kind of user-led ethos and the fact that all of our all of our staff, all of our trustees, everyone who works with us has lived experience of mental health or distress or trauma. That's one part of how we avoid um, avoid carrying out those dynamics and avoid kind of replicating them. But I think it's also really important to to think about that on a sort of like um, on this sort of like smaller scale at community level. Um, I think the thing that we were looking for often was spaces where people were able to like give and receive support in the same space mm. and not that they always had to be doing both of those things simultaneously but that there was a sense of leadership and and like interest in and investment in like people making the space their own and not just sort of being not just being beneficiaries or service users, but being active participants and directing these spaces. Um, so, so that's that's very much um, that's very much based in community, isn't it? It's it's very different from um, a more mechanical notion of peer support, which says there are professional peers who are trained as peer workers who yeah. do do peer support at on towards with. Um, people who aren't peer supporters and then an agreed outcome is arrived at. It sounds like you're talking a lot more about kind of putting resources into existing communities so that those communities can continue to be themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. I think I think often the you know the the project focus of uh, of funding uh is is quite interesting so i think there are there are often pots of money out there but uh but less for core funding so uh sometimes you you find as an organization that you you get into the habit of kind of you you've got the same product but you're kind of putting the same product and packaging it in a different box uh as a as a way of trying to appeal to to funders and kind of avoiding kind of saying you know this is this is what we do we do it really well we'd like to carry on doing it with the same people is that okay? I think as well, there's there's something about um, in terms of the applications. Generally, you could you could really see in the strongest applications there was a real sense of of a collective. Uh, so you might see that in the in the language uh, of the application. So they'd be very much talking about uh, we and us rather than um, you know our our beneficiaries, our service users, the kind of mm -hmm. the us and them. So uh so compelling applications had a had a really strong um sense of a collective um and then i think you'd you'd see that reflected in other aspects of the organization as well so so things like the the governance of the organization so 
maybe organisations that had a management committee or a board of trustees, you'd you know you'd see that that lived experience and that sense of the of the community and the collective being reflected uh, across the organisation as well. So yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you like both of you really got to know um, the applicants to this fund. Um, and, and that might sound a bit weird to someone listening at home when you're also talking about making it as easy and as simple to apply as possible. Because it sounds like you know that you you know thousands and thousands and thousands of words about these applicants. How did you kind of balance the need to get to know what these community groups and organisations were doing um, with the need to quickly turn around and make as simple as possible the process of applying for what was ultimately, you know, maybe a life-changing £500. The thing I think that helped us get to grips with who these applicants are is that, well, um, both Emma and I have experience of writing these kinds of funding applications. We've been on the other side of this. Um, I've certainly, like, benefited hugely from peer support and the peer support facilitator. It feels like... um, there's a common language there, which was really helpful in, in understanding some of what people were, were doing. And also really, really exciting because where there was like a difference in um, how people were carrying out stuff compared to what my experience is, it was a real opportunity to learn. And I think... Um, so so, so what, what would that common language be? And, and, and where did it differ sometimes between groups and organisations? I think there's a... There's sometimes a common language of understanding the emotional toll of making like repeated funding applications. That was one yeah. thing I remember. I remember. Um, it's right, pain couple... in the bum. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I remember having a couple of conversations where I didn't quite know. I mean, I, I, I found myself sort of like expressing that kind of like sympathy and empathy of, of yeah, it's it's really hard when you're when you're writing like a ton of applications. You're not sure what people want, and obviously that's a that's a sort of strange place to be in when you are also having a conversation with someone and you're trying to like get to grips with with what their ask is. And it's it's possible that you are going to be another organisation saying this doesn't fit in with our priorities. Um, on the other hand, it might be that actually uh, because of that conversation we end up with a new perspective on what they're doing, we understand it better, and we're able to fund it. Um, yeah, I think we, even though the application was like, um, intentionally simple, that actually helped us make connections with a wider variety of groups and get to grips better with groups, because they were kind of able to say what was important to them, rather mm. than having to um, try and figure out what was important to us if that makes sense mm-hmm. i think that's yeah yeah, yeah. So, so so have have you had um have you had much feedback from the groups in question beyond i am excited that i got 500 pounds or i am very unhappy i did not get 500 pounds like how, how did um how did organizations and groups and, and community groups feel about being involved in this this process in terms of like how groups feel about the funding that they get there's something really important about like um, seeing funding almost as a vote of confidence and mm. that being very different maybe to project funding where it's like where you've got six months to deliver this thing that you've said that you'll do. 
um and that can sometimes feel i think like a like an incentive to move away from the core stuff that you do really well whereas if you give 500 pounds to do the core stuff that you do really well it's a sense of saying great you're already doing what you need to be doing um you you know kind of what the need is in your community you're the expert because, here. yeah and just, i think the I'll... relationship oh sorry mark <laughs> Oh, no, um, don't, don't apologize for interrupting me please okay Go on. all right yeah i was going to say that that the relationship between between the funder and the organization is is really important so as as Rory was, was just talking about there, i think there's there's something about um a, a two-way learning process so it isn't it isn't just a case of now please can i have some money yes here's some money and then you know you can kind of feedback or evaluate but mm. there's um, I think, uh, in terms of the of the funding that received in the organisation, the, the I've run in commentary, uh, that the the best uh, the the best funding relationships are the one where that build over time. That you feel like you know you have you have a grants officer, you can speak to them very honestly about the process, about how things are going. Um, and so, yeah, so I think these uh, these events are really important, not just for kind of developing the relationship between uh, grantees and ENSAM, but also be between the groups themselves as well. So, that, yeah, that feels really important. So back, back, back to building, <clears throat> building, maintaining and supporting community, aren't we, really? So yeah, what I wanted power. to ask you... Yeah, um, God, yeah, tell me about power. <laughs> oh, uh, I think it's about <laughs> the power relationships as well, because I think, you know, very often we can get locked into, you know, the power dynamic and power dynamics, whether, you know, that's explicitly in case in a, in a funding relationship or uh, within um, partnerships, voluntary organisations or whatever, or whether it's thinking about um, service user involvement in inverted commas, mm -hmm. Uh, invariably um the the power is often where the money is um and where the, where the decisions are made so i think there's there's something really key here about uh changing maybe the the process of uh, of grant making towards yeah, you know something absolutely. that is more participatory and where where power is shared where lived experiences that are represented uh in a in a genuine rather than a tokenistic way so yeah yeah, I think that's all I'll say about power right now. But but yeah, power sharing is good. Yeah. Rory. On um power sharing and participatory grant making, I uh yeah, this it's it's really interesting, right? I think um there's there's definitely a, a, it's definitely the case that we've uh done through the side by side fund something slightly different in terms of who we're funding, how we're funding. Um but I think there's a real uh, potential to make it more participatory um, like and to think more about the kinds of lived experience and the relevance of people's experience and and who gets shut out even around those conversations where we say oh yeah we're going to have lived experience leadership on that is that to say that um, people who are kind of existing at various intersections of say race and disability are they like given decision making power um or is it sort of the sense in which uh like i mean in the case of, of of emma and i shortlisting like we were both white people we were kind of like um doing our best to kind of make informed decisions but also there was a definite lack of that kind of perspective on our yeah um in our process uh so i think it's 
I'm getting a little scattered, but like, <laughs> I think no, there's, some, no, there's something not, about not like, at all. <laughs> the specifics and making sure that we don't say lived experience as a shorthand for everything is fine and we've we've solved all of the power imbalances um, and instead think kind of more deeply about who is and isn't in the room and how we um, how we bring more more expertise into the room next time. So lived experience used to be a very, very simple notion often um, and a mechanical one when, when talking about it, mental health. It mm. was, have you experienced mental ill health, distress or trauma? Have you used a mental health service? Yes, you have lived experience. But, you know, as, as people, our lived experience isn't just our, you know, our experience of mental ill health. Our lived experience is our ethnicity our class our gender our sexuality whether we like model trains or not um and i think it was probably yeah. it was probably always uh, quite complex i think even even with mental health because they yeah. you know even within that there's there's something about you know experiences of having been sectioned uh experience of you know restraint inpatient units of uh, diagnoses of particular conditions and so there's I think there was always complexity within that just looking at mental health lived experience so mm. so yeah and I think as you say then when you when you add in you know other you know the the intersections as well there it's it, it's very complex terrain that you're working in and as as Rory says it, I think it's just really important to kind of always reflect on and be very aware of of where you're coming from what you embody uh you know what what you're bringing um your your own particular judgments your you know your biases and and to be and to be really upfront about that and kind of have those those conversations and you know, uh as Rory was saying you know, I think the the more you can kind of expand that and bring other people into the process I think I think the better so it sounds like Enson's been doing quite a lot of thinking about this. Like, what, what, what was the path to the side by side fund? Like, how, how, how did Enson get to this very, very nuanced kind of self-analytic but practical approach to helping mental health, you know, related community groups do stuff? Like, what was the road here? So last year was the was the first time we uh, and some essentially became um, a, a grant funder, and so we were kind of working out what what that process looked like for us uh, as a as an organisation. And so uh, at that point, um, there were uh, the COVID grants were available for um, user led organisations, um, and so so yeah, that was. That was the first time that that I was kind of you know in in the role of the of kind of reviewing applications um, and then kind of putting things through through to panel, um, and I think I think that the process of doing the, the COVID grants was was really interesting in kind of how it encouraged uh, us as as Ensun to think about the what we actually meant by a user led group. Um, yeah. And to kind of to, to broaden that. So at the time, we had uh, a lot of conversations uh, with within the team more widely about how uh, how those understandings were were maybe changing and progressing. So I think that that, that was definitely a you know a key stepping point on the on the journey to kind of that 
that that self-awareness of kind of where where we are now um yeah um my my role within ensign is not uh this is the first time i've worked on a on a grants program anywhere uh and the second time ensign has done it so both organizationally and also you know personally for me at least it was a lot of what felt like fairly new stuff kind of being at the beginning of of a journey but also at the same time i think uh it's it's quite important that this grants program fits in with other aspects of what ensign does so um that being about trying to connect people who are doing um kind of yeah lived experience led work around mental health and that realization that the covid fund kind of gave us that actually there are lots of groups of people out there who are doing stuff for the mental health well-being um and kind of general holistic health of their communities without necessarily terming it mental health or thinking about themselves within the context of say um survivor user like discourse or, or history or activism um this this sounds like a very very important point um and it, it sounds like it's very much worth unpacking it for the the the, the people listening to the, this podcast um the idea that doing mental health stuff and defining yourself primarily as a lived experience, either practitioner or lived experience based group, seems like it doesn't always go together, even if it's very obvious that someone's doing mental health stuff. Is that is that right? Yeah, definitely. And what I don't want to do is suggest that Ensign's role or, or the, our, our kind of approach to this is to say, aha, you're doing mental health stuff, you should talk about it as mental health stuff, but rather to say um, it, it, it's from the, the idea that as, as, we're, as we're, we're understanding that, that mental health is something that has social determinants, we need to realise that actually um, when people are working on like uh, poverty, when people are working on like fighting racism or um, trying to make stuff better for their local community. Very often, in fact, pretty much always, there is an element of trying to improve mental health or talking about mental health or talking about experiences and like the sort of um, emotional toll and impacts that things like racism, environment, poverty have. Um, it's about seeing it as bigger i think and seeing it as more connected um so <laughs> where next for ensign with this kind of grant funding the the side-by-side -side fund is, is is finished now but are there any next steps is, is there anything going forward we don't have a concrete plan for a next grant funding program but we do know that we want to do one um mm one thing that we uh that we found when we were we were looking through this was that there was uh amazing work going on particularly in the area of uh asylum seekers refugees and migrant support um usually headed by people with experience of the uh immigration system in the uk which as we all know is very very hostile environment very uh just um yeah it's an awful experience for a lot of people to go through um mm. 
and uh, there was we funded some of that and also there was some stuff that we couldn't fund and I think it's important that we look at the stuff that we didn't fund and ask why couldn't we fund this and what is what are we setting up that means that this is unfundable? And what can we do next time? Because there's obviously a need to maybe respond to that. So um, that's a possibility. We, uh, uh, like I said, we don't have any like concrete uh, plans or, or, or um, dates that we can give, or that's something that kind of came up. And I think that's, that's what we're drawing from. We're, we're trying to look not just at what we did well, but also at the stuff that, uh, the places where there were gaps and the places where we were kind of thinking, oh, we wish we could fund that, but we, it's not, that isn't what we set out to fund this time. So maybe it makes sense to do something that's, that's more targeted um, in the future. But yeah, I think, um, I also think uh, it's, it's um, in terms of like next steps, these um, networking meets that we're going to be doing um, throughout August or next week even, um, mm. are going to be really interesting from the perspective of building relationships with people who we funded and seeing if, if they have any kind of ideas about where they'd like to, to go next and what their experience in the program was, how they'd like to see it change. Um, maybe if they want to be involved in thinking about future grants, grants funding programs, um, it would be really nice to have input from previous grantees on um, like the decision-making process and things like that. So absolutely wonderfully, you've got a round of applause from a load of seagulls there, Rory. Um, and I think that's <laughs> probably about time for us to draw this to a close. Um, Abby, Mark Brown, um, you've both been absolutely wonderful. And um, thank you very much. And goodbye.